worship together. Thank you, girls, for um, leading us so beautifully. Really grateful for you, for you all. Really grateful for the guys that are out in the kids' environments as well, uh, allowing us to be able to have this time together. And as they invest in the lives of our children, we're so grateful for that. Uh, one thing that David hasn't mentioned, just by the way, um, we uh, today is the today is the sixth Sunday that we've been in the recreation centre. We've been really grateful for for the staff here. We've been re- really grateful for the time that we have spent uh, in this place. And so we just feel like we're gonna we uh, we're gonna stay here for the summer months um, over over July and August. And, uh, and just as we make our way right into the heart of community, we just feel like we, we just wanted to still to, to remain here rather than just showing up on a Sunday morning, actually take advantage of the moments that we have right in the heart of this place. And, uh, and so as we, as we open the doors of the living room once again, and, and uh, we're going we're gonna to stay here at the same time, at least, for, at least until the end of August. So... Um, so hope that you will uh, you'll continue to, to be with us. That you'll continue to to hear what the Father is saying to us as uh, individually, as families, but as a as as Grace Community. We would love you to uh, to continue to, to seek the Lord alongside us. There's so many things I feel like I could say about the moment that it feels like we're in. And just just to really quickly, just to jump on the back of David speaking about that idea of brokenness. For me, I I feel like it's I feel like there was a there was a moment a number of weeks ago where I felt like in our enthusiasm, the way Isaiah was in Isaiah chapter six, here am I, here am I, send me, here am I, send me. And sometimes we can be like that in the in the enthusiasm of a new thing or a new place. We can raise our hands and an offer to serve and. Offer to be part of the new thing. Here I am, send me. I'll serve, I'll do. But there was something that I felt like I missed in that, that story, and it was a few verses later where Isaiah actually, before he said, send me, he says, woe is me. He was so broken for the state that the people had found themselves in. And, uh, and for me, I just feel like that's what needs to happen within us. And whether it's in Rich Hill or whether it's in your community or in your family, Something needs to happen. There just needs to be a, a brokenness. There needs to be a, an, an almost a righteous indignation that says no. That says no to brokenness. That says no to poverty. That says no to, uh, to, to all of that. And Ryan Matthews, who's coming to be with us tomorrow morning, said that last night. That until you get to that place, you will never say yes to the things that Jesus is inviting you to say yes to. Until he breaks you, until he gets your heart, until he gets your attention, until he breaks you for your family or your community. And so that feels a wee bit where we where we are at at the minute. I feel like he's taken us somewhere and we're asking, we're continuing to ask questions and believing as we prioritize prayer, as we prioritize being with him, that that's the place that he will begin to reveal more and begin to give us more of his heart. Begin to see uh, kingdom solutions, kingdom of God solutions being uh, established in this place. This is our sixth. Uh, this is our sixth week looking at asking the question, "Who is Jesus?" And uh, over the weeks, we've 
We've answered that question with different people in different ways. We've, said, we've answered it saying that Jesus is grace, that Jesus is faithful, that Jesus is truth, Jesus is normal, and Jesus is friend. And uh, today, as we, as we try to bring this series, I suppose, to a bit of a close, I want to say to you that ultimately Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point. Fortunately, today, today we are living in a world, we are living at a time where many people are asking, and it's not just young people, many people are asking the question, what is the point in life? What is the point of it all? And too many people asking that question are, are feeling like there is no answer to that question. That's just, just the, the environments that many of us are, are living in. It's the environments that many of our young people are living in. When we ask, are asking that question, what is the point of life? So I don't know what comes up in your Google search. I was hoping that it came up in everybody's Google search, but it didn't come up in David's and Neville's. However, as I went down to Google last night and I typed in W and I typed in H, I was about to ask what, and the first thing that came up in my Google search was what is the point of life? And I feel like many people are asking that question. Many people have feel like they've nowhere else to find the answer to that question, and so they make their way to a search engine. What is the point of life? So desperate for an answer to that question. What is the point of life? And feeling like there is no answer or feeling like there's a negative response to that question. And so to those people and to that place, we want to say with real clarity and with real confidence that Jesus is the point. I think for some of us, maybe in the room, we have convinced ourselves that that rules and performance is the point. It comes to us asking ourselves the question, what is the point of life? Is it to follow the rules? Is it to, to come up with the best performance? Is it, the, is it our status? Is it the place that we get to on the, on the ladder? Is it our stuff? Is it the things that we accumulate? Is that the point? And I think for some of us, if we're going to be really honest, we have fallen into the trap of something else other than Jesus being the point. And I hope this is able to translate well for those that, that don't speak English, but or English isn't your first language, but we're just saying that Jesus is, is all. Everything that we need is found in him. He is the point of it all. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the book of Ecclesiastes. I know there's many people that go into the book of Ecclesiastes and almost like they wish it wasn't there, but I, I love that it's there. Because, because we try to, too often we try to sanitize this book. We try to sanitize the word, but in all, in all uh, Solomon's brutal honesty, it's laid out before us in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And he's, and he's as if the whole way through it, that's the question he's asking. I've tried this, and the conclusion at the end of that is, what is the point? He tries, he tries career, he tries every form of success uh, that, he, that he feels that he can go down gathering up money, gathering up wives, gathering up fame, and at the end of it all continues to ask the same question, and what is the point? And as he comes to the end of, of, that, of, of, of his writing in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, still, with that, still struggling to find an answer to that question, what is the point of it all? 
he does finally come up with a conclusion. And his conclusion is simply this, fear God and do what he says. Because he's got to the place where he can't answer all the questions, but he knows that, that he knows that Jesus is the point. He knows that God is the point. And so his conclusion is fear him, honor him, revere him, and do what he says. I think uh, I think Paul in his in his writing um in Colossians chapter one sums sums it up pretty well. Colossians chapter one, if you want to go there or you just want to listen to me read these few verses. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, so that in everything he might have first place. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I feel like I just want to keep going there because Paul was on a roll. He was on a roll as he began to pen these words. He began to speak of Jesus. It's almost like his pen just took on new life and began to speak so powerfully and wonderfully of Jesus, saying that he is first in everything. Jesus truly is the point. He is first in everything, and everything gets started in him, and everything finds its purpose in him. And that's why we want to present to you today that that Jesus is the point. I want to I want to share for a few minutes in, in John chapter five, if you want to if you want to make your way to to this chapter. Just been fascinated by this chapter this week. I feel like it's a real pivotal moment in the in the gospel story. I feel like it's a real pivotal moment in the in the life of Jesus. I almost feel like he he intentionally healed this uh, this lame man <laughs> intentionally on the Sabbath. So it starts off John chapter five that. Uh, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem for a feast. And when he was there, he went to, he went to this pool where a number of, of uh, disabled people would have lay. And the blind were there and the lame were there. And the paralyzed. And there was one man in particular who had been there for 38 years. 38 years he'd, he had lay there. And every time the pool stirred, Every time the waters stirred, the first one in, the first one in, they say, was healed. But he could never get there. They had no one to help him into the pool. And for 38 years, waited for his opportunity, waited for his chance to be healed. And 38 years later, Jesus makes his way and encounters the grace and the truth and the wonder and the healing power of Jesus. And it took place... On the Sabbath, and Jesus told him, "Take up your mat and walk." And uh, and the religious people looked on at this. 
And, and, and this, is how, this is how much religion can skew our thinking. These religious people had watched this man for 38 years in an invalid at the side of the pool, longing to be healed, desperate to be healed, desperate to be made whole. And their response to him rejoicing with his mat under his arm, walking for the first time in his life, I reckon. Their first point was, who is it that told you that you could pick up your mat and walk? How much religion can can skew our thinking, can resist uh, celebration. The thing was, this man didn't even know who it was. Didn't even know the fellow who had told him to pick it up and walk. The man who was healed had no idea it was Jesus. Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. And then this is where it begins to get really tense. Because they find out that it was Jesus and, and they confront him and they begin to persecute Jesus. It's a pivotal moment. They begin to persecute Jesus because he broke their laws. Son of God. Taking his came, taking on flesh to, to inaugurate the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, that it would be made known in every town, in every village, in every city, that he would tread his feet. And he arrives in Jerusalem to do that same thing, and he was persecuted because he broke their laws. He broke their man-made laws. He, he messed with their man-made traditions. And it was all, in terms of, in terms of his uh, relationship with the religious elite, it was all downhill from this moment. Because they began to persecute him because he broke their laws, but then they began to persecute him even further because he had the audacity to make himself equal with God. He said, I know who I am. And I know how I was sent, and I know why I was sent, and I know who sent me. How beautiful it would be that as, as co-heirs with Jesus that we would live the same. That we would, that we would think the same way. That we would talk the same way. That we would say, I, I know who sent me. I know how I was sent and I know why I was sent. And that's what Jesus did. He, he continued to resist. He continued to resist their threats. He continued to resist their persecution. He began to tell them that, that I only... That I only do what I, that what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I can do not. I can do none of this by myself. I can do none of this by myself. And he began to share about about his testimony. His testimony was made valid because of the one that sent him. John had come along to confirm it. John had come along. John the Baptist had come along to point, to point people to Jesus. He's the point. I'm coming. I'm coming, but I'm only coming to lay the foundations. I'm only coming to point the way. I've, I've came for, to, to bring you to a place of repentance, but here, here is one that's coming. They'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. and you'll, you'll walk in the Holy Spirit. Everything will be different when he comes because he's the point of it all. And John the Baptist was the one that pointed people to Jesus. But, it was, but Jesus is saying it wasn't even his testimony. It was the testimony of, it was a weightier testimony. In John 5, verse 36, that was, that's what Jesus says. I have a testimony 
weightier than that of John's. Because the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And so the Father, that's Jesus' response to the religious elite. It's his response to threat and to persecution. The Father has sent me and I only do what he does. I only say what he says and I can't do it by myself. And as he brings, as he brings this, this, uh, this dialogue to a conclusion, although it will be ongoing throughout the rest of his life, but in this chapter, he wraps it all up by telling them you've missed the point. You've missed it. And part of me actually, in my softer moments, feels really sorry for these guys. I feel, I find myself feeling sorry for the Pharisees because they didn't intentionally set out. They didn't intentionally set out to do this. They thought they were following the word. They thought they were following the law. They thought they were being faithful to what they knew. And Jesus comes and says, you have never heard his voice. You have never seen his form. And his word does not dwell in you because you do not believe the one he sent. And then he says, you have... You have given your life. You have given your life to study in this book. You have given your life to study in the law. And you've missed the point. Because the scriptures point to me. This is a, this is a huge moment. With our 21st century ears, we sometimes miss, miss the, the power of these moments in the, in the first century. This is a powerful moment. When Jesus tells him and he wraps when he wraps up all that he has to say, all that he wants to say about himself, all that he wants to say about his testimony, and then says, Guys, you've missed the point. Because the scriptures testify about me. You think that it's you think that it's in here? You think that it's in here that you find eternal life? You think that it's through this that you possess eternal life? No, it's through me. The scriptures point to me. And you have missed it. You refuse to come to me to have life. And Jesus says the same thing. This is prior to the cross, but even after his resurrection, on the road to Emmaus, a story I think a lot of us will be familiar with with as Jesus had not yet been revealed and he makes his way on the Emmaus road with the two disciples and, and, uh, and they don't realize that it's him. And they bring, they bring them into his home and they break bread. And when they break bread, they realize that it's Jesus. And then Jesus spends the rest of the time with these guys telling them and pointing them to, uh, pointing them to the scriptures and brings them to the law, brings them to the prophets, brings them to the Psalms and says, it's all been pointing to me. It all finds its fulfillment in me. And the point, Jesus is the point. And so what these guys had done, and and can I suggest that what some of us can also do is that we make the rules the point. We make our performance the point. And that's what consumes our thinking. That's what consumes our energy. How are we performing? How am I I getting on with my rule keeping? But that's not the point. Religion is not the point. 
if religion was the point, then we could, we could do it by ourselves. If it was all about our performance, if performance was the point, if rules were the point, then we could do it by ourselves. And Jesus is saying in John 5 that not even he can do it by ourselves. So why would we think that we can? Why would we think that we can keep up with the, with the rules and the performance? That's what religion will tell us. And Jesus is some stronger words as the story as the story develops. As the gospel narrative continues, we get to Matthew twenty three and, and Jesus it's almost like he's it's almost like he's had enough. He begins these these seven woes, I think they're famously known as in Matthew twenty three. But he tells these these religious elite, these people that have made the rules the point. You have shut the kingdom of heaven in many faces and you won't let those enter who are trying to. That's what religion does. Religion shuts the kingdom of heaven in many people's faces and won't let those enter who are trying to. Because we we hold up our rules, we hold up our man-made traditions, we hold up their performance before them and they miss the point. We shut the kingdom in their faces and we won't let those enter who are trying to when we make religion the point. And Jesus had more to say. He said that you tie up heavy loads and you put them on men's shoulders. That's what religion does. When you make religion and rules and performance the point, that's what you're doing. You're tying up a heavy load and you're calling people to carry a load that they were never meant to carry. A burden that they were never meant to bear. And I just think that as we read through some of this narrative, we see that self-righteousness is often the greatest hindrance. But I love that love that Jesus, who is the point of it all, draws alongside. He doesn't just say these guys are getting it wrong and provide no alternative. His alternative is come to me. You who are weary. You have you who have been given this heavy load. You've came, you've tried to enter, and a load has been tied up and you've been called to carry it around your shoulders. That's not the way it was meant to be. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and you'll find rest. Come to me and we'll, we'll share this load together. If rules were the point, we wouldn't need Jesus. And Jesus says, take my yoke. Take my yoke and learn from me. The load becomes easier. The load becomes lighter when we do it together. It becomes lighter. And for me, I, th- I feel like as I read this again last night, I felt the importance of that. But Jesus, I don't think Jesus is saying, I don't think he's saying, give me your whole load and I'll, and I'll carry it all for you. I think there's a, like a, there's a yoking together with Jesus. Jesus is saying, we're going to do this together. I'm going to share the load. And we're going to do this together in partnership. We need, we need him. And I'm not saying, don't hear me saying that he needs us, but he, he, the way he set things up is that he responds to our participation. He responds to our drawing near. He responds to our showing up. And so religion is not the point. Jesus is. Our stuff, I find that my uh, vocabulary isn't as extensive as I wish it was. Stuff isn't the point. So whether it's material or marital, or anything else in between. That's not the point. 
And so I say this, I say this with, uh, with gentleness, I hope. If we are not happy, if we are currently not happy with our income, if we are currently not happy with our job, if we are currently not happy with our marital status that we have now, we will never be happy. And what I feel is really important actually right now is to say that everything that I'm saying is up for, is up for conversation. I want to just say that I'm, I'm willing to be pushed back on any of these, anything that I'm saying. Just because I'm standing here up at the front and I've got the microphone in my hand doesn't mean that, that, that we can't enter into debate. We can't enter into conversation. I'm so willing to be pushed back on some of this. But my senses, my feeling is, my experience has been, when, if you're not happy with what you have now, you'll not be happy. You'll never be happy. Because ultimately you'll find the, the, the next job, you'll find a certain level of unfulfillment. You'll get a bigger income and, and you'll want more income eventually. You'll get married. And as wonderful as marriage is, there'll be, there'll be times where it, it, it's, you're not completely fulfilled. And I'm not saying that you don't pursue a better job. I'm not saying don't pursue a better income. I don't, I'm not saying don't pursue a spouse. What I'm saying is don't deceive yourself that that's where you're going to find contentment. Don't deceive yourself in thinking that, that, that the stuff that you gather materially or through, through a person or through a thing is where you're going to find contentment. If you're not happy with where you are now, I think that you won't be. Because for some of us, it's because we've deceived ourselves to thinking that it's the job or the income of this or the person that's going to, where we'll find contentment. And so I think the stuff isn't the point. And I also would suggest that you don't wait until you have everything in order and then you make Jesus the point of your life. We can be guilty of that. I'll get the job in order. I'll get the income in order. I'll get the marital status right in order the way I want it. And then Jesus will become the point of it all. Jesus will become the center. It'll be Jesus then that I'll pursue with all that I have. It'll be him then when I'll pursue fulfillment in Christ. Amy mentioned Jim Carrey uh, this Sunday that she was sharing. I too have been fascinated by the, the journey that Jim Carrey is clearly on. Uh, I, watched, I, watched him, uh, I watched him speak. It's only a five or six minute clip to a group of um, ex-prisoners who had been released and had found themselves in this rehabilitation program. And Jim Carrey was invited in uh, just by his friend and was asked did he want to say anything and he began to, he began to speak. And for five or six minutes, just spoke them for me one of the most incredible sermons, the most stunning uh, language around the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus. Something inevitably going on with this man, and I think when I when I read what he had put up on his social media not that long ago, I'm struck once again by what Jesus is doing in Jim Carrey's life. 
He says, I think that everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. I wish, I think that everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Really interesting. Really interesting statement. The last thing that I want to do this morning is to put a dampener on all your dreams or put a dampener on all your pursuits or put a dampener on anything that you want to achieve or want to do. Well, I do want you to think about where, you, where do you find your contentment. Paul, again, go back to Paul and in Philippians chapter 3, he pens these words. He said, because of Jesus. He's saying everything's changed, Paul. Paul's saying everything has changed. And if people were to ask the question why he was, he's ready for a response, it's because of Jesus. Everything's changed because of Jesus. All the things that I thought, all the things that I once thought were important are now, are now gone. All the things that I once held dear are now not so important as they once were. Everything that I thought was significant Everything that I thought was a priority is like rubbish compared to knowing him. That's what Paul says. Everything that I thought was significant, everything that I thought was a priority is now like rubbish compared to knowing him. And again, I don't think Paul is dismissing all of these other other pursuits, all of these other desires. But I think what it's clear that he's saying is that in comparison to knowing him, and giving him the supremacy, and giving him the first place, everything else feels like it's, it's inferior. Everything else feels like it's not as important as it once was. I personally feel like it takes on, I personally feel like it takes on new depths, new richness. And I'm aware that, I'm aware that Judith's here, and she could contradict me. I hope she'll do it, not publicly. But the thing is, whenever, whenever I, in those moments where, where Jesus is, is my priority, whenever everything else is not as significant as him, I think it enriches my marriage when Jesus is priority. I think it brings a greater depth and a richness to our marriage. I think it brings a greater depth and richness to the relationship that I have with my children. The greater relationship it helps me develop at the, at, at the school gates or with friends or with family. And so although I'm saying that everything else, Jesus is, is supreme, he is number one, I think it brings a greater, a greater depth to even those things that seemingly come under and giving up. I think what Paul is saying is that I'm giving up all the inferior stuff so that I can embrace him. I'm giving it all up so that I can embrace him because he's the point. Let me, uh, let me begin to, to wrap this up. Religion, rules, performance is not the point. Jesus is. Or stuff, whether it's material or marital or anything in between is not the point. Jesus is. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to also suggest that morality isn't the point. Jesus is. I'm struck by, I think it's Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, we have, we have the account of the Pharisee, the religious elite, and the tax collector 
we have an insight into their prayer life. And the tax collector stands up and says, I'm so glad that I'm not like this man. I'm so glad that I'm not like these, these sinners. I'm so glad that I'm not like these uh, cheaters, and swindlers, and deceivers. I'm so glad that I'm not like them. Thank you, God. And then we have the prayer of the tax collector who is beating his chest. God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I feel like, it, I feel like there's, there's something about that that reminds me that, that morality, morality isn't the point. And I hope you don't hear me wrong, but I think so often we get so worried about everyone else's sin that we can't enjoy life. We get so worried about the sins of everybody else because we've, we've self-appointed ourselves as the moral police. We've self-appointed ourselves. We've, we've, we've convinced ourselves that God is some cosmic policeman and we've taken on the role of his understudy. He's a cosmic policeman going around making sure that everybody's following the rules and everybody's keeping in order. And sometimes we take on that same, same role. We think that we're his understudy. But we get so consumed with everyone else's sin and sometimes even with our own sin that we just don't enjoy life. We don't, we don't do the very thing that he created us for the very thing that he has destined us for. We never get around to doing it because we're so consumed by our own sin and more often than not, everyone else's. And I'm not saying that, uh, please don't, and that's what I'm saying, please don't hear me, me saying that sin doesn't need dealt with, that sin doesn't need exposed. But I'm saying it's, morality, morality is not the point and I think that, that, Jesus, uh, that Jesus comes and, and reveals a different way. Because if morality was the point, then Jesus would have dismissed all of those people that he spent so much of his time with. Because he was so much about truth and so much about grace, so much about being normal and so much about, so much about being faithful that he found himself, found himself in places where he just wanted to reveal himself. And so it's not in being a good person, but still try to be good. It's not about having a good reputation. Do your best to have one of those. It's not about being a good church member. The point is Jesus. And the point is knowing him and making him known. And for me, this just becomes so important. For me, it's, it's one of those things that I want to give the rest of my life to pursuing. And not only pursuing, but living. I want to know and experience his love and his grace, and his mercy, and his forgiveness. I want to know and experience that. And I want to make it known to everyone else. I think that's what we are here for. I think when Jesus is the point, that's, that's how we then begin to live our lives. Knowing and experiencing his love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and then making that known to everyone else. We've, it's the language we've started using around here over the last number of months is that you can't give away what you haven't received. And so we're in a place where as we've looked at the person of Jesus, we want, we want you to receive a level of grace that you've never experienced before. We want you to receive a level of mercy and love and forgiveness that you've never experienced before or you've never even thought possible. We want you to experience it because once you've experienced it and received it, then you give it away and actually you, you inevitably give it away. The more that you receive it, you can't help but give that away. And so to go back, as I finish, to go back to Colossians chapter 1, there's a little line in the middle of what, there's a little line right in the middle of what Paul says there. It says, Jesus, he's the one that's holding it all together. 
Jesus is holding it all together. And so I can't help but, but ask the question. I couldn't help but ask myself the question last night. Neil, what is it that's holding you together? What's holding you together? What is your focal point? That's the question I felt like the Lord was asking me. What is your focal point? And I don't know if everybody's, I don't want to assume that everybody's living rooms look the same. But in many of the living rooms that I go into, my own included, the TV is the focal point in the room. Everything is positioned so that the TV is in view of everybody. No matter where you sit, the TV can be seen because it's the focal point in many of your, our rooms. And if that's not your room, that's fine. Just go with me anyway. Pretend that it is. Everything, everything is positioned to point to the TV. And as I find myself asking that question, what is the focal point? As I find myself asking that question, what is it that's holding you together? I'm asking myself the question, how are the things in my life being positioned? Is, 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 my, is my relationships, is my job, is my, is my money, is it being positioned in a way that points to Jesus? Because he's the point of it all. So I'd love it that you would begin to ask yourselves those questions. What's holding you together? Because if it's, if it's the rules and the performance, it's not going to hold you together for very long. If it's your stuff, it's not going to hold you together for very long. If it's your morality, it's not going to hold you together for very long. It's in him that all things are being held together. And as you consider... What is the focal point? What is, what is everything positioned into? Everything in your life is being positioned to point to something. What is it pointing to? For me, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I just think that there's almost a part of me that feels this morning that in some ways Jesus is saying the same thing about us. Because whenever Jesus came, he took on flesh and in humility came and dwelt among us. So he didn't come for the power. He didn't come for the prestige. He came for you. The point was you. And so the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross because of you. Because you were the point of his coming. You were the point of his living and his dying and his resurrection. It was for you and he was able to endure it because of you. Joy set before him. You were the joy set before him. Wow. C.S. Lewis says the perfect church service would be one where we were almost unaware of. And as wonderful as the girls have been and as much as I've attempted to make sense this morning, my prayer is that as C.S. Lewis said, the perfect church would be one that we were almost unaware of because our attention would have been in Jesus. And so for me, my ambition as a, as a church leader, my ambition as one just standing at the front here speaking, is that you would leave this place thinking nothing else than isn't Jesus great. You would leave almost oblivious to our surroundings. You would leave oblivious in some ways to the quality musicians and singers that we have. You would leave oblivious to what I've said, which you maybe will do anyway. But, but that you would leave this place saying, isn't Jesus great? 
Isn't he wonderful? Isn't his grace and his mercy outstanding? He's the point. And so, Father, we thank you for thank you for Jesus. Thank you for thank you that you sent that you sent him to reveal us a completely new way to live, a completely new way to think.